Welcome back to ADHD Money Talk, the show that helps dynamic but distracted brains take back control over their money in order to stress less, have a more enriching life, and open up new and amazing possibilities. And I'm your humble and very ADHD host, Dave DeWitt. Today, we're going to just dive somewhat deep into the student loan forgiveness that has been announced last week at the time of this recording. That's going to help out a lot of you guys. I know that for sure. A lot of my clients have student loans, and I get lots of questions about student loans. So this is very good news for those of you with student loans. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about what it is, how much is being forgiven, what types of loans are being forgiven, if there's any opportunity to plan so that maybe you can get forgiveness if you don't quite qualify. We'll get into that a little bit, and we will just hash it out. So what has happened? So of course, Joe Biden, one of the key things that he ran on and always talked about was that he would help people with student loans. He fulfilled his pledge. Of course, there are many different takes on whether this is a good thing, whether it's a bad thing. I ain't going to even touch that topic because I just don't want to. So we're just going to talk about how it's going to help people with student loans. He fulfilled the pledge, and on August 24th, he took some action. So it's going to forgive up to $10,000 of student loan debt for borrowers and up to $20,000 of forgiveness for Pell Grant recipients under certain income thresholds. So let's talk about the details a little bit here. So at a high level, the cancellation of student loan debt is up to $10,000 for borrowers that have income under $125,000 for single individuals and $250,000 for married couples. So that's going to include a broad swath of people out there in America that are going to get some relief here. And then up to $20,000 for Pell Grant recipients with the same income thresholds as above. Also, there's another, and this was noted as the final extension of the pause on federal student loan payments through the end of the year. So for those of you that may not qualify for the cancellation, you are at least getting a a longer break uh, here for more breathing room in terms of having to make payments on your federal loans. There were also changes originally made by the public service loan forgiveness waiver, and some of those will become permanent provisions even after the waiver ends on October 31st, 2022. And if you have questions about how to qualify for public service loan forgiveness, I did put out a blog recently that kind of goes into details about that. So I'll add that in the show notes and you can check that out. And also it's been noted that there's going to be an awareness campaign that's aimed at eligible individuals. This is very important um, for people that you may not even be aware that you can get public service loan forgiveness. So it's very important, um, especially because, you know, with this deadline ending, you're going to want to get it done or at least apply for it before then. Regarding the public service loan forgiveness, the the waiver essentially made it much easier to get your entire loan, uh, student loan forgiven after 10 years of public service. Before the waiver, uh, the process, the program for this was there were so many hurdles and obstacles, and it was, it was very hard to actually get this done. So that's a whole other can of worms that we won't get into on this podcast, but if you want more, then just let me know. Okay, and then there's also the creation of a newly proposed income-driven repayment 
otherwise known as IDR plan, that limits payments on federal undergraduate loans to 5% of the borrower's discretionary income and forgives loans of less than $12,000 after 10 years of payments. So that is good news because when the payments start kicking in again next year, they're going to be lower for most of you. So one thing to note about this great little plan that's going to help out a lot of you is that they're being executed via executive action rather than through legislative passage, which basically just means that unlike big laws that get passed through Congress where both sides have to agree and blah, 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 takes forever. You know, this is basically just, you know, Joe Biden magic, uh, waving his magic wand. And so if it gets through, you know, if this officially goes through, it's likely not going to be very different from the initial proposal because it's not going to get tossed back and forth and have to have all these agreements and whatnot. But there is definitely a, you know, I think a significant chance in this case because of how much hoopla and, you know, drama it's creating, you know, over the talking heads on TV, um, there's a good chance that, you know, Republicans who oppose the plan will try to stop its implementation with, you know, legal challenges which means that the ultimate outcome might be determined by the courts, which will be frustrating for all of you hoping for this to happen for sure. So we'll just have to watch out for that, and I'll try and keep you posted. Uh, but still, with an estimated 43 million student loan borrowers in the United States, not to mention other stakeholders like spouses, parents, children, and employers who also are affected by a borrower student loan debt, this relief plan definitely has the potential to impact a number of households. So let's talk a little bit more about eligibility for forgiveness, okay? So while a lot of you will be eligible for the forgiveness, there are going to be some high-income taxpayers out there that may be listening to this podcast who will not be eligible for the relief, which, of course, is going to be begging the question is, who's a high-income taxpayer? In this case, we have our answer because we have $125,000 for single filers, $250,000 for married couples, and a press release by the U.S. Department of Education clarified that 250,000 threshold also applies to head of household filers. So that's very good for any of you out there who are a head of household, who's not married, but has a kid or a senior person that you're taking care of and you qualify as head of household, your limit will be up to $250,000, which is great. And there's no other details on other filing statuses, but it's safe to assume that the $125,000 limit will apply to married couples who file separately. So $125,000 for each of you. And this could be significant um, for the large number of married borrowers out there who are using income-driven repayment plans and who file separately in order to reduce their monthly loan payments. So this could come into play for some of you out there. So it's good to figure this out. And then the other question is, what are we using for income? So it hasn't been specifically identified what is the definition of income in this case. Um, But we do know that the income-driven repayment plans use an individual's adjusted gross income. So accordingly, I think maybe AGI, which is adjusted gross income, would be the leading candidate for the definition of income here as well. Now, when? How are they they coming up with when the $125,000 limit or $250,000 for married or head of household, when did you have to have under this amount? This is good because it's, we're going to have two years to have this. So it's either 2020 or 2021. So if you were under $125,000 in either of AGI, in either 2020 or 2021, then you will be eligible for this forgiveness. So what this basically means is that you know if you if you won the lottery and you won you know five million dollars 
in 2020, but then you had $120,000 of AGI in 2021, you would still be able to get the forgiveness. So that's great. The only kind of bad thing about this is it's kind of like a cliff. Like if you had $125,000 of income of AGI in 2021 and $125,000 exactly of AGI in 2020, then you wouldn't get any forgiveness because you earned $1 too much. So there's no like sliding scale down. There's no a graduated sort of schedule here for forgiveness. So that kind of sucks because like if you earn the $125,000 in both years and you don't qualify, then you know your financial situation is going to be not improved at all from this, but the person who may be already in a better financial situation who gets $124,999.99 of income in both years, you know, and they're in a better situation, they're going to get even to a better situation. So you know, this is just kind of the way things go with these kind of things. It would have been nice if they kind of, you know, scaled it down a little bit or, you know, but I, I don't really quite understand why they wouldn't do that. That's how most things in tax law works in terms of like eligibility to contribute to Roth IRAs and IRAs and all this stuff. Like it's usually like, okay, there's a buffer period here where it kind of slowly slides down, but not in this case, which is, eh, I don't like that. But anyways, so I hope that all makes sense. Now let's move on to the income tax consequences of forgiveness. So... Normally, when an individual has debt forgiven, the forgiven debt does become taxable income. However, changes made by the American Rescue Plan Act of 2021, most student debt that's forgiven through 2025, including any debt forgiven by the president's current proposal, will be tax-free at the federal level. At the state level, though, income tax consequences is different. Um, It's going to depend on the state. So in states with no income tax or where state income tax rules are conforming to federal rules, there will be no tax. But there are some states that do not conform and there will be some taxable income on the state level, at least for now. So these states are the ones that may be going to be taxing some of that $10,000 in forgiveness. Um, This is according to a preliminary report from the Tax Foundation, and they include Arkansas, Hawaii, Idaho, Kentucky, Massachusetts, Minnesota, Mississippi, New York, Pennsylvania, South Carolina, Virginia, West Virginia, Wisconsin. Now, I actually did see the other day that Pennsylvania, where I live, is definitely not going to be doing this. Um, So if you live in Pennsylvania, don't worry. You won't be. But these are some states where this could happen, where they do not conform to federal standards. Okay. Now, is there any planning strategies that can help you qualify for forgiveness if you don't qualify forgiveness as it stands today. So since we're using 2020 and 2021 as the measuring years, this unfortunately means that there's not going to be very many planning opportunities or well, there will be no planning opportunities for most people. So because either the income was below the threshold or it wasn't like black or white, you've already filed your your taxes and it's just the way it is. You can't contribute to a 401k or an IRA to lower your AGI at this point. It's too late. However, For individuals who did not qualify based on their 2020 income, but have not yet filed their 2021 tax returns, there may still be a limited number of strategies that can, you know, help you qualify for forgiveness. If you're a business owner and you still have the ability to make deductible contributions to a retirement plan for 2021, for example, a self-employed person contributing to their own SEP IRA would be one example. If those contributions and the corresponding deductions reduce your AGI enough to get under the applicable threshold, then you actually may be able to get yourself $10,000 of forgiveness by contributing 
a certain amount to your SEP IRA, which of course is great to contribute to your retirement. And if you can get that extra bonus, that should be something that you definitely consider. And um, I'm sure there's some of you out there that may fall into that camp. So another opportunity is that if the threshold for single filers is also applied to married individuals who file separate returns, then married couples with student debt should evaluate whether filing a separate return for 2021 makes sense, even if you normally file joint returns. Because if the debt forgiveness available to one spouse exceeds the additional tax burden from filing separately, plus any other potential costs such as tax prep fees, created by filing separately, there could be a net win situation here. So for instance, if you're filing joint and the AGI, your income's over 250, but one of you is under, if you file separate, then you might get that forgiveness that you wouldn't get if you filed joint. So which type of loans will qualify for forgiveness? Only federal loans, which were funded by June 30th, 2022, are eligible for forgiveness as announced by the Biden administration. However, existing debt As of June 30th, 2022, that was consolidated after the deadline is still eligible for relief. One thing that is not eligible is privately held student loans, regardless of the borrower's level of income. There is also some concern then regarding federal family education loans, which are federally backed loans, but they were originally funded by private companies. And when these loans were originally issued, some of them were purchased by the federal government, while others remained under the ownership of private companies. So the ones that are now owned by the federal government will be eligible, but it's not really clear at this point if the ones that are still held by private companies will be eligible. And if they aren't, then that would strike me as somewhat unfair. Also, Federal loans taken out for graduate school are eligible for relief, as are Parent PLUS loans. The maximum debt relief appears to relate to the borrower, not the student. Thus, that means parents with $30,000 of total Parent PLUS loans spread out evenly over three children will only be eligible for a maximum of $10,000 forgiveness, not $10,000 per student with student loans. And in contrast, if a student's parent had $10,000 of Parent PLUS loans for their child's education and the child had an additional $20,000 and had a, received a Pell Grant, a maximum, maximum of $30,000 of debt related to that student's education could be eliminated, $10,000 for the parents and $20,000 for the parent, just as a fun aside. And thank you, Michael Kitsis, for pointing this out. And one last thing to note here about eligibility, current students with debt are eligible for relief as well, though the... If the student is claimed as a dependent on their parent's tax return, then it's going to be based off the parent's income that is going to determine eligibility. Okay, let's move on to applying to receive loan forgiveness. The good news for a lot of you is that this is going to be very easy. 8 million student loan borrowers already have income information on file with the U.S. Department of Education, and that's going to allow them to automatically receive this forgiveness Anyone who is on an IDR plan who has not yet submitted income information for 2020 or 2021, you're still going to need to apply and submit proof of the income in order to qualify. For anyone outside of these two situations, there's going to be an application which supposedly is going to be easy. The White House has directed the Department of Education to make the application available no later than the end of this year, but it's been said that it's going to be launched in the coming weeks. So stay tuned for that.
You can, if you want, go to the Department of Education website and sign up to get updates on this. So I will put the link to that in the show notes. So there is also, like I mentioned earlier, the extension of the student loan payments. And this time it's been noted as final, whereas previous times it was also noted as final. However, with the combination of the relief here, the forgiveness, and the adjusted IDR payment uh, math, where it's only going to be 5% of discretionary income, it stands to reason that perhaps this truly will be the last extension. So for those of you that are still going to have to make payments, just brace yourself and make the appropriate plans and your budgets and all that to make room for payments. So that's all the details I'm going to get into for this podcast since we're on an audio podcast. I don't want to bore you to death, but this is very important for lots of you out there. Now, to create this podcast, um, I did lean a little bit on a great summary from Michael Kitsis, who in the financial planning industry is a big, big name. Um, he has a really great article that gave me some ideas for this podcast. There's a lot more that he talks about in here, especially regarding the new income-driven payment plan. There's lots of things in there that's going to make it a lot better for you guys from a psychological standpoint, not seeing your student loan balances balloon higher, the way it's going to be capped to the way that the amortization, I mean, okay, I'm not going to get into the weeds here, but the way it's going to work is going to be very, very good. But, you know, one of the biggest policy changes being proposed here is, according to Michael Kitsis, could be even more significant than the $10,000 to $20,000 of relief that's being offered, is that there's an interest subsidy that promises to cover the borrower's unpaid monthly interest, which, again, can really avoid having your student loan balances balloon with accrued interest where it psychologically makes you feel like you're never going to get out from under it. So this is all good stuff. Um, Stay tuned. Um, I'll be sure to bring more of this stuff to you as updates unfold and all of that. So my ADHD friends out there, if you have student loans, pay attention. You know, make sure you get on top of this. Don't let yourself not get the help and relief that's coming your way. I'll try my best to keep you apprised. I hope this was helpful for you guys. And I look forward to bringing you these podcasts. So take care. We'll talk next week.